Hi, y'all. Laszlo Montgomery here, back once again to another, if I may be so presumptuous, exciting episode of the China History Podcast. Today is sort of a light day again. You can't eat Peking duck every day. Sometimes there's a need for some shoots high, and that day is today, some vegan fare. We're going to finish off our little survey, or whatever you want to call it, of Taoism in China. We first looked at the proto-Taoism period with Laozi and Zhuangzi. Then we looked at the classical period of Taoism, which ran from the Han to the Tang. You know, I didn't really keep going after that. Song, Yuan, Ming, Qing. Lots of good stuff, but, well, I just had to make an executive decision as to cider in charge. So today, rather than look at the more modern history of Taoism, we're instead going to focus on the ones who are the most key gods in Taoist mythology. So we'll look mostly at the Eight Immortals in general, and with maybe a special emphasis on Zhongli Quan and Lu Dongbing. A lot of people like me who lived in the Chinese-speaking part of Asia for a long time, wherever we went, in every home or apartment, shop, meat market, public building, wherever, we were surrounded with all these images of Taoist deities. This included statues, paintings, advertisements, and the like. Honestly, I saw them and I couldn't distinguish which one was which and what was this guy's backstory. This was pre-podcasting days. There was there was no there was no China history podcast back then to sort them all out and offer up the skinny on each one and maybe inform where I might have seen this particular deity before or where have I seen those eight gods in the boat before. In Taoism, you can't get any higher than the Sun Qing, the three pure ones. They have a lot of names. The three pellucid ones, the three pristine ones, the three divine teachers, the three clarities, and as a variation of the three pure ones, they're also quite often referred to as the three purities. In Chinese, they say all that in two syllables. They're known as the san ching. San, first tone, means three. Ching, well, among many things, means pure. This character, first tone, is also the character for the Qing dynasty. These three gods are considered the highest manifestation of the Dao. They started everything. They themselves were created by yin and yang, combined with the life force, the qi. The primordial celestial energy that gave rise to life as we know it. It was, of course, without any physical form. It was just an energy force. But a lot of religions demand that some force of nature or power or some superhuman force be matched together with some kind of physical representation of a god or an idol, if you will. These gods, the three pure ones, would be the ones most likely placed in the central altar of any Taoist temple. The three pure ones, they too are depicted as three wise old men, something that has symbolized reassurance in cultures everywhere. They each have names, specific powers, and symbols that they are always shown holding. You could sort of sum them up as the creator, the guardian, and the last is the teacher. They have come to us as the physical manifestation of all living beings, past, present, and future. Each one is tasked with something or other that, through benevolence and mercy, they bring to mankind. They are, uh, in order, the Jade, Pure One, Yu Qing, Supreme Pure One, Shang Qing, and the Grand Pure One, Tai Qing. Let's first look at Yuan Shi Tianzun, the universally honored one of origin, the universal lord of the primordial beginning, the celestial 
venerable of the primordial beginning, the primeval lord of heaven. He's the jade pure one. Yu Ching, the source of all truth. He's the first of the three pure ones. He had an apprentice, a successor, because before he moved on to other things, the jade pure one, he had an apprentice who succeeded him as the ruler of heaven and earth. And this successor was known as the Jade Emperor, or Yu Huang, or Yu Di. We'll get to him in a second. Let's finish off the three pure ones. The next of the three pure ones is Shang Qing, the Supreme Pure One, the celestial worthy of numinous treasure. The Supreme Pure One is also known as Ling Bao Tianzun. He is, among other things, the custodian of the sacred books. He's usually shown holding a wish-granting scepter that is sort of shaped like a mushroom. The base is resting on his lower right hand, and the central point of the scepter is held in his raised left hand. The last of the three purities is the Grand Pure One, or Tai Ching. He's also the universally honored one of Dao and Virtues, the universal lord of the way and its virtue. And so he is also called Dao De Tianzun, and sometimes also Grand Supreme Elder Lord, or Tai Shang Lao Jun. He is the one who supposedly manifested himself as the great Lao Tzu. In the paintings and statues, he's the one who always has the long white beard. Let's jump to the Jade Emperor. You might have heard or read his name a lot more than the three pure ones. He is the ruler of heaven and earth, including hell and all men who walk the earth. And I swear I always mixed up the Jade Emperor with the Yellow Emperor. The Jade Emperor, I told you, he began his career in the service of Yuan Shi Tianzun, the Jade Pure One. When the Jade Pure One decided to retire, so to speak, from this position, the thankless job of ruling and shaping the heavens and earth fell on the Jade Emperor. Not including the three Pure Ones, the Jade Emperor is the supreme god in Taoism and Chinese folk religion. He's also called Xuanqiong Gaosheng Yuhuang Da Di the great jade emperor of the highest mysterious void. Now, he didn't create the world. This was the jade pure one. But he helped the jade pure one, Yuan Shi Tianzun, to bring order to the cosmos. So when the emperor of China, no matter the Han, Song, Tang, Ming, or whoever, whenever they had the mandate of heaven, specifically they were talking about the approval of the jade emperor who ruled heaven. He's a good example of a deity that was alive and well before Taoism, before Buddhism, and whose legend was incorporated into Taoism. The Jade Emperor embodies the Tao and uses Wu Wei to rule the heavens and earth. The Jade Emperor has many Chinese names, being so important and all, in Chinese culture. He's known as Tian Gong, or Heavenly Grandfather. He's also called Yu Huan Shang Di. Yu means Jade. Huang means emperor, and Shangdi means god. The Jade Emperor is the one who gave us the Chinese zodiac. He's the one who chose the twelve animals. As the legend goes, as told by hundreds of millions of parents and grandparents in China going back to the beginning, the Jade Emperor invited all the animals to visit him in heaven, and only twelve showed up. The cat was the 13th animal, but his friend, the rat, didn't wake him up in time for the big meeting with the Jade Emperor in heaven. And that's why the enemy of the rat is the cat to this day. In the Vietnamese Zodiac, however, the cat gets a place of honor amongst the 12 animals of the Zodiac, and the rabbit uh, is the odd one out in this case. I'll have to ask my wife about that one. 
The Jade Emperor's main role in modern Chinese society is to mete out reward or punishment, whatever the case may be, to all mortals. How does he find this out? Who reports to the Jade Emperor about who's naughty and nice? Cao Jun, he's the famous kitchen god, or stove god. I guess you could compare him to Vesta in Roman mythology, the goddess of the hearth. He goes to heaven once a year on New Year's Eve and reports everything to the Jade Emperor. So it's critical that before he ascends to heaven and spills the beans, the tradition calls for you to take your Zaljun statue in the kitchen and smear his mouth with honey or something sweet so that only sweet things can come out of his mouth when he goes to report to the Jade Emperor. So that's Zaljun, the kitchen god. Lots of stories about him, but they don't have anything to do with Taoism. So let's look at uh, Liu Dongbin. He was born during the Tang Dynasty, around 798. This would put him around the time of the Dezong Emperor, sort of right in the middle. Not a good part of the Tang, but also not the worst part. He's the most popular and well-loved of the Eight Immortals. He's the healer of the poor and slayer of evil spirits. His symbols that you'll invariably always see him carrying are a magical sword that was presented to him on Mount Lu, Lu Shan, by a dragon who inhabited the mountain. This sword, among other things, allowed him to conceal himself in heaven and to destroy evil spirits. His other symbol that looks like a whisk, this whisk, it was like some rod with a horse's tail on it, is what it looked like. Its role was to shoo away ignorance and anything that had a negative influence on your mind. Liu Dongbin's passion is helping others to acquire wisdom, study the Tao, and be their guiding hand in achieving spiritual enlightenment. Just Google Baidu or Bing his name and you'll see plenty of images. Most often the sword is on his back and the fly whisk thing is in his left hand. Before Liu Dongbin became an immortal, he was called Liu Yan. Like Hong Xiuquan, 11 years later, during the Taiping Rebellion days, Liu Dongbin, or Chun Yangtze, as he later became known, was a three-time loser on the civil service exams. To drown out his sorrows and humiliation for his failures, he took to the bottle. One day, while he was deep in his cups, one of the eight immortals, Zhong Liquan, sees him and takes an interest in this 40-something-year-old Liu Dongbin. He takes Liu back to his dwelling to let him sleep off this drunken state he was in. Whilst dreaming at Zhong Liquan's hut, Liu Dongbin dreamt that he had become a great scholar official who rose all the way to the top and achieved every acclaim imaginable. But one day he somehow had managed to offend the emperor and his whole family was executed and he was banished from China. There are several variations of this Job-like story. He woke up from this nightmare and Zhong Liquan comforts him and knew every detail of his dream, even before Liu Dongbin told him. Therefore, Liu Dongbin was certain this man was a god and he begged to be his disciple. This dream also taught Liu Dongbin that, that fame, glory, and riches was not the correct path he should follow. Zhong Liquan asked him, why is he trying to shorten his life by abusing his body and drinking so much when he could lengthen his life by following the doll? This episode is known as the famous yellow millet dream, the Huangliang Meng. Since Zhong Liquan was making a pot of boiled millet when Liu Dongbin fell asleep, 
and when he awoke from his dream, Zhong Li Quan was still stirring that pot of millet. Liu ended up becoming one of the earliest masters of what's known as internal alchemy, which in Chinese is called Nei Dan. This is the discipline followed by some believers in Taoism that prolongs the life of the body and makes one immortal. In Nei Dan, you use your body as a vessel to cultivate the Sanbao, the three treasures of Jing, Qi, and Shen, the essence, the energy, and the spirit. And this is on a very simple level. The study of the three treasures is something people study or practice for a lifetime, and there's a lot to it. A podcast-worthy topic, if I say so myself, but here we're just touching on it as it relates to Liu Dongbin. He's probably the most colorful character and beloved of the Eight Immortals. His aim is to help mankind and to help them to study the Tao. He has some character flaws that bring all sorts of amusement to followers of Chinese culture. He has an eye for the ladies and never got over his love of alcohol and also was known for his occasional explosive temper. He attained immortality only after he satisfied Chong Li Chen's instructions to perform 3,000 good deeds first. So even after he became a deity, he still walked the earth, testing people and rewarding those who were worthy. But he's considered the leader, or at least the co-leader, of the Eight Immortals, and he's the patron saint, so to speak, of jugglers, magicians, and barbers. He's also popular as a solver of romantic problems of all kinds. A whole cult developed around Liu Dongbin by the Song Dynasty. There's an old saying, still very much in use today, that goes, Go Yao Liu Dongbin. This translates to, Dog Bites Liu Dongbin. It's a saying one uses to describe repaying kindness with a mean act, or not being able to recognize a kind-hearted person, or mistaking kindness for bad intent. Like everything, there's a story behind this, but we got to move on. Let's take a quick look at the eight immortals, the Baxian, who are so honored by Taoists and so beloved in Chinese culture. Walking around China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, or almost anywhere in the predominantly Chinese-speaking world, it would be hard, if not impossible, not to see references made to the Baxian. They're shown in countless Paintings, wall calendars, statues, figurines found in shops, people's homes, adverts on billboards, magazines, on TV, and all over society. And as far as Chinatown gift shop favorites are concerned, if they had to get rid of anything that even remotely was related to the Eight Immortals, the shop would be half empty. Each one has a special power that is contained in some weapon or tool that the particular immortal is always seen holding. Like I said, Liu Dongbin carried a sword and this whisk. Zhong Li Quan, he had the, this magical feathered fan which could bring the dead back to life. And he's always shown with his robe sort of loose and his big belly hanging out. And that fan is always in his right hand. Like in other cultures practiced around the world, ancient Chinese would immortalize certain people who had great fame for one reason or another, and usually for some act of heroism or superhuman feat. In China, this goes way back, even before Taoism. But like I said, Taoism would act like a sponge, just soaking up these more interesting and intriguing local traditions. And the Eight Immortals are an example of that. Quickly, Zhongli Chen, his surname is Zhongli. It's one of those rare 
Chinese compound surnames like Ouyang, Situ, Sima, and Shangguan, to name the most common. And those are not so common, let me tell you. Ouyang, maybe a little. So his surname isn't Zhong with the given name Li Chen. His surname is Zhong Li with the given name of Chen. I mentioned this about these two-syllable Chinese surnames when I first discussed Sima Qian in a very old episode. So Li Dongbin and Zhong Li Chen, they're considered two of the leaders of the Eight Immortals. Li Dongbin exists only in mythology. There's no rock-solid evidence that he ever lived. Zhong Li Chen, however, he was born during the Han Dynasty and served as a general, which makes him the oldest or one of the oldest of the Eight Immortals. Now, he might be a historical person. There's hardly rock-solid evidence. Zhang Guolao, another immortal, is considered a historic person, but I'd say iffy at best. In English, his name is Zhang Guolao. This would translate as elder or venerable Zhang Guo. He, like most of the immortals, was born during the Tang Dynasty. He's the one in the paintings who is shown riding backwards on a white mule and is carrying this thing that looks like a bamboo golf bag with two putters inside. But in actuality, it's called a fish drum or a yugu. This talisman can foretell the future and act as a divining rod. The mule that carries Jiangguolao over a thousand li a day, or about 650 miles, at the end of the day's journey can be conveniently folded up like a piece of paper in a pocket-sized square and put away in some place safe. And then, when Zhang Guolao would awake the next morning, he need only take a gulp of water and spit it on this folded white mule, and he becomes an unfolded version, ready to be mounted and do another 650 miles. And then Zhang Guolao, he's off and running, perhaps after a nice bowl of doujiang and youtiao, who knows, he is so many things, both to Taoism and to Chinese folklore. Lovers of Kung Fu probably would know who Zhang Guolao is. Many legendary moves and styles were credited to Zhang Guolao. He's another immortal who is a fun-loving, boozing type and beloved for his many eccentricities. Let's quickly run down the other five. There's Lan Cai He. This immortal is the androgynous type, another one to come out of the Tang Dynasty. In the paintings of the Eight Immortals, this is the one always shown holding a bamboo basket of flowers and often only one shoe. He's another crazy immortal and, like so many others, enjoyed a nice tipple when he can get one. He carried a flower basket that contained flowers that could be used to communicate with other deities. Then you had Han Xiangzi, uh, he's another one born in the Tang Dynasty. He was a student of Liu Dongbin. He's the one with the flute, and when Han Xiangzi blows his flute, it makes flowers bloom and soothes the beast of the wild. Then you had Li Tieguai, or Iron Crutch Li. He's the scraggly old barefoot guy with an earring, carrying an iron crutch, a Tieguai and a gourd that's filled with medicine that he offers to the poor and the sick. And this gourd, no matter how much medicine you dispense, the supply in the gourd is never exhausted. Li Tieguai is particularly beloved of all these Taoist immortals, and the stories of his benevolence abound in Chinese culture. A quick story that Chinese know from childhood, before becoming an immortal, he was a handsome guy named Li Xuan, yeah, he was very shy, as the Chinese like to say, a bona fide handsome guy. 
One day he sat down to meditate and allow his spirit to fly to heaven to meet with other deities. But before he left, he told his apprentice to wait seven days for his spirit to return. If he did not return after seven days, then it was okay to burn his body because he had become an immortal. So, you guessed it, six and a half days later, his apprentice, he has to rush back to his village to see his dying mother one last time, and he was so sure his master would not be returning and had become immortal. So he burned the body and left at once. And of course, Li Tiegui comes back, and no beautiful, handsome body. Instead, he had to take the closest available body, which turned out to be a homeless, starving beggar with a bad leg who had just died along the side of the road. So that became his new body. It was his benevolence and all that he did for the sick and dying that led to his immortality. Next, we have Cao Guojiu, Royal Uncle Cao. He's one who also is mentioned in the history books, so he might have been a real historic person before he attracted the attention of the gods for his kind acts of charity, which led to his becoming the eighth of the eight immortals. He was personally groomed, to become one of the eight immortals by Lu Dongbin and Zhong Liquan. He's the one who is always dressed as an official and carried a jade tablet and sometimes these Chinese clappers or castanets. Last but not least is the only woman of the eight immortals, He Xiangu, a.k.a. He Qiong, immortal woman He. She's also of the Tang Dynasty, and she's easy to figure out in all the depictions of the Eight Immortals because He Xiangu is the only woman. And she's always carrying a lotus flower with an elongated stalk that was said to improve one's mental and physical health. And she came from Guangdong. Now, for all the Eight Immortals, the important thing is that they all attained immortality and God status through their practice of Taoism. And you all remember Zhang Daoling from the first and second podcast on Taoism. He too has deity status for all that he did for the practice of Taoism for, and for organizing it all like he did. Okay, so we've looked at all the most important and critical Taoist deities, the ones I mentioned. These are the deities you'll most commonly see today if you find yourself in China, Hong Kong, Macau, or Taiwan, or Chinatown. There are many, many more Besides these, the four guides are Si Yu, the four saints who protect the standards, the Hu Fa Sisheng, there's the Wu Lao Jun, or five venerable lords. I mean, the list goes on and on. I guess if I stop running out of ideas for topics, I'll look for these more obscure Taoist deities and we can do an episode on them. If such a thing can even be possible, if you never, ever saw the Eight Immortals before, go ahead and check out my website. The image associated with this Taoism Part 3 podcast is of the ultimate number one most famous story about the eight immortals called the Ba Xian Guo Hai, or the eight immortals cross the sea. The whole gang of eight was en route to the Pan Tao Hui, the conference of the magic peach, when all of a sudden they encounter an ocean. Well, being immortals and all, with all these powers, one of them says, hey, you know, no big deal, let's just jump the clouds and get there that way. But Liu Dongbin instead said, nope, they should take a boat across the ocean and combine their individual magic powers to cross the ocean, or Guohai. This theme in Chinese culture of all eight immortals chipping in their individual talents to overcome a collective challenge is one of the more treasured little stories passed down since time immemorial. Paintings, 
embroidery works, wood, jade carvings, works of art, and I regret to say ivory carvings, used this theme of ba xian guo hai. If one of them can't be found at your local Chinese restaurant, I'll eat my hat. Anywho, we're going to hit the stop button right now, and I hope you all got something out of this little three-part overview about Taoism in China. I thought about quoting many more passages from the Tao Te Ching and Zhuangzi and reading different commentaries on them, but I thought, you know, who am I kidding? I'm hardly an expert on the subject. So the historical and cultural aspects of Taoism, this is what I wanted to focus on. If you're interested at all about the subject and want to read the great works, they're all freely available on the internet. I can't even think of another word to use except to say there is a plethora of information, scholarly papers, commentaries, and whatnot that can teach you everything you wanted to know about Taoism. But just remember what Zhuangzi said 2,000 years ago, life is finite while knowledge is infinite. You could spend your whole life trying to learn about everything there is to know about one aspect of China, or you could listen to the China History Podcast each week and get the main points. When my new website is up, I know I've been saying this, you know, I'm in Claremont, and Leo, he's up in San Josie, so progress is glacial. But we're almost there. I wanted to say that since I get so much mail and see comments regarding the sustained barrage of Chinese names I rattle off and how challenging it is to remember them, I'm thinking about inserting a little info in each podcast at the website, chinahistorypodcast.com. I'll list all the key names, places, or events that I say in my I know it's very hard to understand these Chinese names, so hopefully this will help. That's coming up soon. Anyway, this is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from the town of Berkeley, California. I'm multitasking, doing my podcasting chores, and sending my number one daughter off to college. I'm juggling two chores at once. I guess Lu Dongbin is my patron saint then. Take care, everyone, and thanks a lot for all the emails. I try to answer everyone. I thank you for listening, and I'm hoping I'll see you next week for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast.